Warning, this episode contains references not appropriate for children, including but not limited to violence, cursing, hammers, living plant monsters, and breaking up with Quentin. Stay tuned. Good day and welcome to Writers Get Animated, a podcast about storytelling, animation, and breaking up with toxic ex-boyfriends slash clowns. I'm Chris Leva. And I'm Mackenzie Worrell. And today we're talking about Harley Quinn, the character and the new show on DC Universe. And if you're thinking, I didn't know there was a new Harley Quinn show, you're right. It's on DC Universe. So (laughs) sign up (laughs) for DC Universe if you would like to watch this show. And that's about the only exclusive thing. Well, you have access to all the Batman movies and all the Superman movies and other animated fun things. Yeah, 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 yeah. Also, Lois and Clark is on there. Is that a selling point? I'm not sure. (laughs) I'm not sure. You just said it with confidence. It sounded like it was. (laughs) But Harley Quinn, as we'll get into, um, is a selling point, which is hard to reconcile. Uh, (laughs) I mean, after decades of, I guess not that many decades, a few decades, a couple decades of Harley Quinn going from beloved introduction in the 90s of, like, fun foil character to, like, this slow, like, sex object fantasy character. Mm -hmm. I wasn't really looking forward to a Harley Quinn animated show, but... After watching a couple of the clips on YouTube that they posted, I was convinced it was worth checking out. And this show is not the modern Harley Quinn you're used to. And in fact, strives to show why Harley Quinn was lovable in the first place again. Mm-hmm. That's a good way of putting it. Ta-da! So, well, let's, let's talk a little bit before we get into... Let's see. Before we jump directly into the vat of Harley Quinn acid um, to take a look at what's going on here. Or Margarita um, Mix. Or Margarita Mix. Uh, We are going to look at where Harley Quinn has been and how we've ended up at this point. Now, this isn't going to be a huge deep dive into history of Harley Quinn and everything and psychological analyzation of the character just getting an idea on when um, Harley Quinn has gone through major transformations as a character I think there are about three or four main points where she is changed I think that's fair in addition to her origin so, that's fair. I don't I don't follow the DC universe as much since her origins. That's really the main thing that I know about. I see. Okay. Well, I will learn today too, children. <laughs> so Harley Quinn, as I don't know if many of our listeners who are with us for this episode already know Harley Quinn was created for the animated series um Batman colon, the animated series. <laughs> In 1992, uh, she was voiced by actress Arlene Sorkin. 
this is what most people, I would think, until you know, prior to five years ago, thought of as Harley Quinn. Uh, very lighthearted version of of a character. She pale faced, um, red and black costume, full body suit, looked like a Harlequin. Oh my! Wait, looks like a Harlequin. I see what they did. <laughs> you just got that? No, I didn't just get okay. that. I was. Whew. <laughs> I was like, gotta take your theater nerd card back. I know. I know. No. No. I. It's. It's. So that's that's where most people recognize the character and that's where that's her origin she was created for the animated series she did not appear in comics prior to that um and i think that's what's really interesting about batman the animated series is that it in many ways defined a lot of what a certain generation knew about batman i mean it even like you're talking about Harley Quinn crossing over the comics, it spawned a number of characters that have since cross pollinated into the comics. And they've kind of just brought over a lot of that origin story that Batman, the animated series did in addition to just some of the more famous stuff. Like you're talking about the understanding of Batman. Um, Mm -hmm. I think I was at least an adult before I found out that Mr. Freeze's origin wasn't what was in Batman, the animated series. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like oh he just is a goofy guy who sucks in everything else cool but in batman the animated series he's a tragic anti-hero <laughs> <laughs> and what's interesting about batman the animated series itself is that in very many ways it is to the 1989 batman live action film is what Harley Quinn, the animated series, is to Suicide Squad in very many ways. It's taking elements from that live-action thing that most people would have seen and putting it and saying, yes, we like these things of it. We will keep the Danny Elfman theme. We will keep this over here, and we will construct it into something new, drawing the net back into the history of Batman and pulling out some things, but we're we're riffing on that 1989 version. So that's what the animated series did. And in this series, it really looks at Suicide Squad from 2016 as its jumping off point of people will understand and recognize this Harley Quinn. Did you see Suicide Squad? I did. Okay, I did not. Um, you didn't? Okay. No, I mean, I'm surprised that you did. Uh, oh, are you? Okay. <laughs> I had, never mind. Um, but yeah, it, it did feel like watching just Harley Quinn, the animated show, that DC said she must have her Suicide Squad outfit and she must have a bat and otherwise do whatever you want. <laughs> well, in, in a lot of ways, what we see in Suicide Squad, there was this comics reinvention that DC did in 2011 where they spawned the new 52, where they were like, you know what? We're starting all of them over with episode one. We're going to go all the way. Well, well, not episode one, but 
number one, issue one. So we're just taking back all the storylines and starting all over. And once they did that, there's this middle ground where they sort of took Harley Quinn from the animated series and reinvented her. And she looks really close to the version that we get in Suicide Squad, but not quite all the way there. The Suicide Squad version takes what they did in 2011 and pushes it further. And then this Harley Quinn series just kind of reaches all the way back to the animated series and just pulls everything forward and tries to touch on every iteration and make them make sense. So it's it's really interesting what they've done. At least if you just look at the look of things, it's very much like a more refined version of Suicide Squad. Hmm. And Suicide Squad itself, like the first 15 minutes of Suicide Squad, are really terrific. Um, Will Smith is really good in it. Um, Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn is the best part of it. I mean, she's getting her own spinoff movie now, right? Right. Which I can't tell if that's a sequel or if it's like a new universe, but also if Margot Robbie. (laughs) That's the same character. I really don't know. I just love the title of it. I'm, I'm hoping, I mean, this show is inspiring me that maybe DC's getting its act together. And if the Harley Quinn live action movie looks three quarters as good as this animated show is, I could maybe be convinced to go see it. I see. I feel like maybe they're figuring out what makes Harley Quinn fun. Yeah, I think that that's a good way of putting it. I think in a lot of iterations, it's she's a very dangerous character because you could go in a lot of toxic ways with that character. It's she can be very, very problematic. Mm-hmm. Um, you start her off um, in Batman the Animated Series. She's just a fun foil to a Joker that's scary, but but has class. Mm-hmm. Who's dangerous, but not like evil, demented, insane. Yeah, she's like a more classic Joker that they wanted to also keep. Right. She's a very, very... Um, her accent, the way she speaks... It's it's very much a cartoon character. She's very much essentially um, a musical theater sidekick. Guys, like she would fit in, in 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 Guys and Dolls. Like she's the blonde Guys and Dolls sidekick character. Oh my god, you're right. That's that's where she is. That's what she fits in as so. Batman the Musical. I would I would go. I would I, go. I don't know if I would write it, but I would definitely go see it. Batman, turn off the lights. Batman, the lights were never on in the first place. There we go. Or, or yeah. I don't know, but you'd have Bane come in in the second act. That'd be oh, fun. Bane. So I have to ask, back on the topic of Harley Quinn, 
Have you had a favorite version of Harley Quinn that you've identified with or really like liked before now? I think for me, um, the the Batman the Animated Series version of Harley Quinn was the most fun because she was fun. I think I liked the Suicide Squad version of Harley Quinn because there was a humanity that, that Margot Robbie brings to it. There's like pain and anguish in there. And it, it feels deeper, but it still feels ridiculous. Like she, she walks that line of, I'm a ridiculous character. I do ridiculous things. I'm funny, but also there's this weird darkness here. And that's that's the thing that I liked about it. And it didn't quite get all the way there that I wanted it to. But I'm glad that they're making a sequel with her her character in there. But I still like the animated version better. Although this new one is really, like, really asking me to really love it more. Yeah, this this one did all the extra credit assignments. Um. <laughs> right. <laughs> I not having seen Suicide Squad again, so I have no opinion on Margot Robbie. Um, I hear she's great. Um, I do like the Batman the Animated Series Harley Quinn the best, and it feels like everything since then was them trying to put that version of the character in new situations that were interesting, but the magic wasn't there. Like I like the idea of Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy having crazy hijinks adventures, which has been like the the shtick, I guess, for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, Slash romance. Uh, man, that... Mm, uh, I don't know. In my one of my past lives as like a <sighs> book reviewer, I talked to one of the creators of a comic who was running a, a lesbian comic for DC at the time, and it just walked away feeling a little gross. Um, <laughs> so I don't know how I feel about... Uh, I won't say that for all of DC's comics, but it's like straight dudes writing lesbians just kind of leaves me the wrong way now. Mm. Not not a huge fan. Not a huge fan. Feels uh feels weird. Feels gross and outdated. A little fantasy-ish. Uh, not mm. all the time, not necessarily, but that's how I felt. Um, and that I think is part of what drove me away from Harley Quinn and liking her and liking her stuff. Um, this one I do feel like they've recaptured the magic and they figured out. This, the developers of this show and the writers of each episode understand what makes her interesting and what her strengths are. Because I think a lot of what gets lost through all the dilution of Harley Quinn is like, what are her strengths? And I like the episode one begins with like, basically treat us like why she's one of the smartest people in the room. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh yeah, she's a doctor. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she, she has a PhD. Everyone else seems to have forgotten this, but it's Dr. Harleen Quinzel. Yeah. Of course, the Joker wants like a professional psychiatrist at his side. Like, Batman's crazy. You gotta figure him out. What makes him tick? That's what we need Harley Quinn for. I don't know. And in some cases, I feel like the um the animated series forgets her origin story too. Oh yeah. You know, she doesn't really have one right away. Way or at all in the first 
Surely. She does. She does. But I feel like in her character portrayal, it's it's just more silly and more fun rather than being calculating or smart as a as a character. She she does end up being playing second fiddle to to the Joker a lot of times and just being, you know, the what am I trying to say? She's like the comedy sidekick. Yeah, and I think that's what that show wanted to do. And I think that was fine for that show, but now there's so much more depth you can pull from. Mm-hmm. That you can do so much more with Harley Quinn now. So let's let's take apart the first episode. So season one, episode one, till death do us part. And and really, really get into it so we can figure out what they've done right and why I've watched six episodes in the past three days. <laughs> um, it's addictive. We'll warn you now. Uh, it's, oh, yeah. It's so fun. Um, so Till Death Do Us Part is essentially leading us through Harley's true origin story, the hor- origin story of Harley Quinn as her own individual entity mm-hmm. as a, as her own criminal mastermind. Uh, she's with Joker. We, she has a, she realizes that he's bad for her. She, they have a breakup with help from poison Ivy and it's her trying to start things on her own for herself but also being totally unable to start things on her own for herself and needing help to do that. I mean, it's a show. You have to have growth. Like, I thought it was smart to set her up. Ah, man. I think it's such a smart setup to pick up Harley Quinn at an origin point, like you say. It's not her origin as a villain. It's her origin as who she will become. Mm Mm-hmm. But it also, there's a whole journey on the way to who she will become. There's the realizing she needs to become that person, which is episode one. And then you have a lot to play with. How do you make Harley Quinn the queen pin of Gotham crime? Right. Well, taking the knowledge of Batman lore and DC lore of what does it mean for some person to be a supervillain. Like, what does it mean? So it deconstructs what's necessary for somebody to be a supervillain and trying to give Harley Quinn those things and for her to, to earn them and procure them <laughs> uh, any by any means necessary. I'll tell you what, this show feels like it has... DNA of a lot of things that I love in it. And that's how I've been trying to describe it to people. Like it feels like they wanted the rules of this world to be realistic to an absurd degree and to nitpick what a super villain needs, like you're saying. And that way reminds me a lot of Venture Brothers, um, Mm. which takes the rules of super villainy and super science to an absurd degree and like nitpicks every little thing. And that's what this show does. It pulls out all the little stuff um spoilers for episode one 
but we never talk about spoilers for a TV show really because we assume we've watched it. Sorry. Um, <laughs> of course, the the classic Joker origin is that he's dropped in a vat of acid. And so they talk about Harley Quinn, like she became a supervillain when she's dropped in a vat of acid. And the culmination of episode one is Harley Quinn trapped over a vat of acid. And she realizes that she's become who she is because she feels betrayed by the Joker in that moment. She's dropped to the vat of acid, but it turns out to be Margarita Mix. Because they're not going to actually drop her in acid. They just wanted her to see that Joker would drop her into a vat of acid. In this mm-hmm. case, Margarita Mix. And that's perfect. <laughs> and they really, like, they take that joke and they run with it, too. Because it's the whole thing of, like, the hardest part of this whole plan was getting that much Margarita Mix. And the joke, uh, sorry, mixed them up. The Riddler saying you should have got a Costco card. I only go once a year, and if it's and it doesn't pay for itself, I feel that. I feel that poison ivy. Uh, I I was watching it on my my wife and my son were playing Lego Jurassic World on the Nintendo, so I couldn't use the TV. So I was watching it on my iPad with headphones, and I they stared at me because I was just laughing really really hard and really really loudly, which I normally. <laughs> I'm not a laugh out loud kind of person when I'm watching things. And that Costco joke <laughs> did it for me. And um, I was at a couple other moments in the first episode, but I was, I was, I was really taken with the humor, especially the, the realism, like when it gets to the realness of this is what you would have to do to make this really happen. It, there's a, a specificity to it, which I think, mm-hmm. again, Venture Brothers pioneered, but other shows are picking up on that now that Venture Brothers has been on like 15 years, two decades, <laughs> whatever, three decades, uh, only five seasons, seven seasons. <laughs> um, but other shows that more modern that you hear us talk about in theory, you might hear a lot um, that this reminds me of DuckTales has the same like root and specificity of like building the world and really nitpicking what that means for a humorous effect and pulling that out. So that feels like one part of Harley Quinn, this specificity in the writing and the rules. Mm -hmm. The other major part for me is um, Bojack Horseman because Harley Quinn is basically a Bojack Horseman, a supervillainy, like someone so flawed and so misguided and so helpless that she has a lot to build on and learn. And there's a sadness to it. That that's really compelling. Like you talk about Margot Robbie bringing humanness to the character. I think the humanness we see in this absurd world is just Harley Quinn being so enthusiastic to do something, but not having the first clue of how to actually make that happen. Like wanting a highway named after her by the mayor. <laughs> right. And I'm just workshopping this is what she says. Like it's, it's just an idea that she had. She just wants to be, she wants to hold things for ransom. She just wants to make the, make the moment happen. Uh, yeah, she she knows what she wants. She's the secreting it right now. Like she knows I have to get it from point A to point Z. And but I don't know what the path is. Point T, there might be some ransom. Point Q, maybe the mayor's involved somehow. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> We're getting there. Maybe a giant shark. I think when <laughs> oh, king shark. Um... <laughs> Man, when you say Bojack Horseman, though, I think you're and Venture Brothers, you're really tapping into. So you you said that 
the realism of of place in terms of this world has real rules and we're going to follow them and you're going to know what they are and no character is going to be get off, you know let off the hook for something um and then the characters like bojack it it's that same specificity with the characters they have everyone is flawed everybody's interesting everybody has their own story like everyone has their real relationship with somebody else. So for me, when, when you end up getting into Arkham for the first time, so what, what's happened is, well, even before you get there, like the very first line of the whole series <laughs> is, is this captain talking about like, you know, the, uh, about hello, my fellow whites, you know like (laughs) with a giant pile of money next to him it's magnificent it's the kind of obvious writing that just is so funny because it's so it says it it says (laughs) it says it on the nose (laughs) and and then he just says and we got it from doing what we love to do which is uh Screwing the poor, to put it lightly. <laughs> it, it uses more colorful language, but this is a mostly family-friendly podcast um, in terms of language. So Yeah, not always a show like this one. Um, at that point, uh, my wife said, oh, I get it. <laughs> he did say whites earlier, and he did, like, he, she started understanding what was happening. Like the style of humor just took her a minute to like get in the gear, like find the bike gear. Okay, we're going uphill now. Great. I I think that's the point where I hit it too, though. Like my brain was like, wait, what did he say? And then, but the fact is, we don't realize that it's the Joker in disguise. These folks just think it's this Rupert guy and no one's questioning anything. So there's this boat full of, Rich people not questioning the fact that, yes, that's how this person speaks. Um, And then they have their big fight. Um, Harley Quinn is fighting with the Joker because he keeps upstaging her. He keeps, um, he pulls off this, oh God, this (laughs) face that he's taken off of Rupert. Like the guy's real head, his real skin of his face. And is wearing it as a mask, which is tells you all you need to know about what kind of Joker this is. And the level of violence that we'll see in the show. Right. Because in the new 52, Joker is really freaking scary um, and staples people's faces to, to his head. And like he doesn't even have a face anymore. Like somebody stole his face and then he what? stole his face back. And then he stapled it back on. That's not how faces work. I'm sorry. This is why I don't read serialized comics. Okay. I'm sucking back in my suspension of disbelief. Okay. And I'm ready. I'm back. So, but, but they're pulling elements of that Joker, but also he feels very close to Batman, the animated series in terms of his level of comedy. 
Like it's really funny and it's really ridiculous and it's really petty. It's his it's his pettiness that that you start to see and it's like wow, this Joker is really petty. I mean, yes, and I think that I don't know. I don't know how to describe this next part. There's a lot of lines turned into the first episode to kind of give you the clue that what Harley Quinn is going through is kind of like this feminist awakening to, which is really interesting. Um, like she says at one point to Joker saying, like, Joker says like, oh, you'll get to lead your own caper eventually. And she goes, if not now, when? <laughs> and things like that. Um and I think that because the Joker is so petty, that really helps you like buy into that storyline. Because not just that he's like regular petty, he's also like a bad person petty, um, mm-hmm. completely sexist, and either isn't aware of himself or is like so gaslighting and manipulative that he will hurt the people around him that he professes to love, um, but also like doesn't want to be broken up with by that person because he's that petty and that full of himself. He's that much of a narcissist. Yes. I mean, mean, if you break down the Joker, this is a person who has a lair with his head, with his face as the entrance, like a giant hundred foot version of his head with a mouth that you go into as his lair that's his in the comics that's you know in a lot of different places it's his face this is a this is a villain who has his picture on his bombs like who's going to notice your who's going to notice that why do you need your picture on a bomb but it's it's all about him and his image and his image as the clown prince of crime and i am this powerful person i'm funny and i'm mean and i'm an agent of chaos and you can't you you can't know me i'm the crazy one and even in the world of the show not in episode one but shortly afterward it establishes the rules of like what line the bad guys won't cross either and that line is seems to be being a sexist bad person openly (laughs) which i think is setting up an interesting fall for joker later in the season Mm. essentially at one point they're watching a newscast of like wonder woman fighting one of her nemeses uh and he calls her a very bad word on tv and comedically, basically, the world grinds to a halt, and he goes on this apology tour of calling Wonder Woman a bad word. Yes. And it's it's interesting to see them deal with people who don't get that line, and the Joker, who seemingly does understand that line and is trying really hard to not cross it but still be a jerk. Mm-hmm. Because for him, it's about power. Mm-hmm. and control and he and it's and it's about him versus batman <laughs> yeah this this show and thank god this movie lives on somehow this show has a lot of lego batman movie dna in it too 
Because you know a little bit about that. Yeah. I love that movie. I think it might be one of my favorite Batman iterations ever. And I know it seems to be sacrilege to any like big DC fan. Um, But it just gets the character so well. What makes them tick? And I mean, obviously, one of the morals of that story is that Batman and Joker are basically best friends. And in this show, it's kind of making the comparison that they're kind of, or at least Joker is courting Batman and loves Batman more than he loves Harley Quinn and mm-hmm. needs him in his life more. So that, that similarity is there. But also this show has a lot of the the deep cuts, deep cuts from Batman lore uh, that it makes fun of and gets to use. Um, Shark Repellent makes an appearance magnificently. Right. Yeah. Almost the exact same setup for the joke as uh, the Lego Batman movie had, but <laughs> it just, I don't know. It's, it's not just telling interesting story with characters from Gotham city. It's telling interesting Gotham city story. If that makes sense. I think so. I think so. It's, it's, it's taking the characters and the knowledge and giving them a a rock solid floor to stand on. Yes. Like sometimes and oh sorry. Deep and and deep basements <laughs> yes. to draw from. Deep basements. Uh because sometimes it feels like while well, something can be a very good movie or episode of a show or something, it doesn't feel like it belongs in that world. It can be really well done. It's just like you're using those characters to make that happen right. without any specificity to that world. And in addition to the real characters and the real rules, it's grounding it in the fake world of Batman. Mm-hmm. Like it does feel like Batman and Superman exist in this world somehow. Now they're not the full versions that we may be totally used to, but well, I think, but they also are. <laughs> this show does really smart stuff with its general character relationships because it feels like all of the the heroes, quote, um, not of this show, but like the good guys. Um, this show latches on to some specific trait of theirs and dials it up to the 11th degree to the point that it feels like they're the crazy ones because Jim Gordon is... A conspiracy theory nut bag. Uh, Batman is so aloof that he doesn't even make time for any semblance of a friend. Uh, and Robin is a spoiled, rotten, rich kid. And it almost feels like it's it's not just done for absurdity. It's very specifically rooted in them living in this serious, dark, gritty DC world. Mm-hmm. And the villains live in this fun DC world that's fighting against the dark gritty DC universe, which I love. (laughs) But I also like the version of Superman that we get. This is like one of the better versions of Superman that I've seen from DC in a long time where it's just, I'm so nice. Like I'm really nice guy, Superman flying in, talking to things and then like going out for sushi with Lois Lane later. Like that's, it's ridiculously awesome. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this movie, this is this is what we should have had. I want that Superman in a movie. I don't know what he would do or you know, what would happen in it, but it's going to be fun. Mm-hmm. 
which th- that would be a nice change. The show Fun. just gets it. Yeah. So. And kind of along the same lines, I love, love that on top of flipping the script and showing a supervillain as the main character, the Joker is still the bad guy of the show. He's the antagonist. <laughs> I think that's mm-hmm. such a smart move. Do you want to say a little bit more about that? He's a villain's villain. <laughs> like, it, it's just interesting. It'd be one thing to make a Harley Quinn show and have Batman or Robin or Superman or Wonder Woman be the antagonist. Mm-hmm. That's kind of predictable. Instead, the antagonist is still the Joker. But the overstory is a bad guys versus good guys dynamic, even though Joker is still the antagonist of the show. Mm-hmm. I think he's in every episode either trying to ruin something Harley's done or she's trying to prove something to him. There's always a dynamic between her and him about her journey. Even when it's not really the Joker, they go into her head at one point, and of course the Joker's buried deep there. In her subconscious. Yeah. Oh, that's such a fun episode, too. I love them all. I'm really hard-pressed to pick a favorite. It helps that I binge them all like in one sitting, so they kind of blend together. Right, it feels like one long episode of something. Yeah. Because I that's how I watched it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm really looking forward to going back through, though, and seeing some of the deeper things. Um, can we talk a little bit about characters? Yes, yes, yes. Because I think that, that gives a good sense of the world and the way that things are operating. But the, the characters is also... Um, a really big change in the way we see things. We've we've alluded to it a little bit when you were talking about BoJack Horseman type characters who are grounded and flawed. Um, but can we let's just look a little bit about Harley Quinn in now it's twenty twenty. <laughs> we're long into this, you know new year um and there have been lots of different versions of harley quinn as we've talked about like what what do they do right with harley quinn and is there anything that we hope to see from harley quinn do me to answer I'm I'm just I wanted to throw that out General as a question, question for both of us to answer. Oh, okay. And maybe the audience. We could if we could wait for the audience to answer, then we might be waiting a while. We're gonna stop this episode now and come back in two weeks and we will play your responses. No, just kidding. <laughs> um Yeah, this Harley, like I mentioned before, I just I love that she's smart, but simultaneously her self before she became Joker's sidekick was still deranged and evil and smart. It's not like she went from like a smart, good psychiatrist to an evil sidekick with a hammer. Mm-hmm. It almost feels like the show's trying to, it's picking up in the journey where Harley made one big change in her life. And now she's figuring out the balance between those two things of being smart and sadistic and ambitious, but also nobody's sidekick wall decor. Hmm. Yeah. I think 
the the nice thing about it for me is that this the episode where we go into Harley's head and her psyche and see her past it does try to fix one of the problems that I've always had which is the joker being the cause of somebody being somebody being corrupted I guess it's it's the whole Anakin Skywalker thing Mm-hmm. You know, there has to be darkness in Anakin. It can't just be Palpatine moving them. There has to be something in them that is activated by that person, but it can't just be that person turning them. Yeah. It's that person activating something that was already there. And I'm glad that we're getting that with this. Yeah, it definitely feels like we we get it. And I think we get it in episode one, too, to a lesser degree than the In the Head episode. Mm-hmm. T- tell us a little bit about where in episode one, just the where she's talking to herself. Yeah, spoilers for my favorite thing. I'll leave my actual favorite thing for later. But at one point, she's talking to a past version of herself. Yeah, um, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, and her past version, um, I forget what prompts it. But she goes, yeah, you dress so much better now. And it's it's just that she's not talking to a goody two-shoes old version of herself. It's an old version of herself that had more clarity in her situation, but also mm-hmm. had the desire to become Harley Quinn. And I think somebody, if, if you are a psychiatrist... And you were like, well, let me look for a job. Like, you know where I want to go? I want to go to Arkham Asylum. <laughs> I feel like th- that's saying something about that person just in general right away. You know, there's something about... There, there has to be some fascination with villains or villainy or supervillains to go into Arkham to say, I want to find out what helps, what makes these people tick. Oh, I mean, she had a PhD. She had to write her dissertation on something. Right. And odds are it was probably on, you know, the psychoses of villains in some way. Like, I would love to read her dissertation. I would probably not understand it, but I would love to read it. (laughs) Yeah. That might just be uh, Alan Moore's Super Gods, or I think it's Alan Moore, whoever wrote that book. It's another throwaway Mackenzie reference that doesn't mean anything. That's fine. That's fine. Uh, <laughs> yes, we have Harley Quinn, and it's this show creates a more linear growth to Harley Quinn's character rather than a two face approach of like two very different people on one side of an event. Right. I was really good and pure and I met the Joker and now I'm evil. Yeah. It's more nuanced and interesting. Yeah. I also like Poison Ivy a lot. This is this is my favorite Poison Ivy. <laughs> this is my favorite Poison Ivy. Um, which feels strange to say because she's not always the most interesting character around. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't know when Poison Ivy was created, but I think she's probably the original sex object in the Batman world. Mm-hmm. And this finds a Poison Ivy from Harley Quinn's perspective that's interesting. And I like that at least at this point in the show, she's done relatively little to no supervillainy after escaping from Arkham. She's just the odd couple roommate that Harley Quinn lives with. She's tending her house plants. She just wants to read, keep her house clean, catch up on her books. Wear comfortable clothing. (laughs) With pockets. With pockets. Help her friend when she needs it. I spent my whole Saturday setting up something this stupid. (laughs) (laughs) That, I mean, between her uh, poison ivy and her talking plant Frank, um, who in my brain is just basically Audrey too. Yeah. I just I just want a, a sitcom with Audrey too, and then this gives me that, like, oh, good, uh, an evil man-eating plant who uh, is hanging out with a roommate. <laughs> like this is this this is the best. Thank you. Thank you. It's Audrey 2 for 2020. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it it does it does allow this person to have she's flawed in her own way. And I enjoy the fact that she said that Harley was the only person who helped her understand herself. Mm-hmm. You know, it as gives a, doc- a reason for their friendship. Right. It's not just, hey, we're two women. I mean, which I think at the time that story decision was made, probably in the 90s, that that was a a good positive step. But that's not a good reason today. Right. In 2020. I'm just glad to have two female characters in the same room in comics in the late 90s. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Now, you can try harder. And they did. It'll, It'll be nice when there are even more in there. But I kind of I thought I caught a glimpse of Livewire in Arkham, and I hope they bring Livewire into this too. I just I just know you have to have more. You know, it's if Harley is going to be a, a strong supervillain on her own, you kind of feel like she's going to want to help other people, other women specifically, and pull them out up to I've and I know that in one way it's nice that she's bringing some reject beta males along with her zeta males in some ways (laughs) but I I, what am I trying to say I I just I just want a more I just want more women in the cast and I think that might be a, a good season two kickoff decision of Harley Quinn bringing another woman into the crew. Mm-hmm. I, I do like that right now that it, except for like one character in the crew whose whole storyline is like working for women. I do like that. Otherwise it's a whole bunch of dudes working for Harley Quinn who have no issue with it and have no problem with it. Mm-hmm. Like they are totally fine seeing her as a queen pin of crime even if the Legion of Doom is so full of themselves, 
as like the A-list villains that they can't see her that way. It's like the villains who aren't successful have perspective and can see that she is going places and knows what she's doing and are totally willing to work for her. But the people who are full of themselves and have success, like, don't buy that a woman can do that. Right. They're not meant to. I, I find it interesting that we haven't seen Selena Kyle anywhere yet. I mean, it's DC, so it's probably like a list of characters that they can't use or mention in some way. I think they mentioned Catwoman at one point, but I doubt that she'll I be I think they show. did, yeah. It's like DuckTales and Mickey Mouse. Like, you can have a watermelon shaped like Mickey's head on, but you can't have Mickey Mouse. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> Season seven. <laughs> What else do we want to say about Poison Ivy, though? I think, other than her really comfortable pajamas. I mean, the voice acting for the whole show is great. I think the Poison Ivy voice acting is especially great because it's very... Like, she wants to be Harley's friend, and she loves her. And she wants to drive that point home and support her, but she's also, like, embarrassed by it and still struggling with liking other people because as i say she's a classic misanthrope who <laughs> projects it onto plants instead uh and so she like talks to harley quinn like i love you don't make a big deal out of it okay <laughs> oh what was the other line uh, just their fight about i guess it was it in the first episode they're blending together um where she's just like i'm hey i'm going to get thai food yes. just text me what you want She's like, I want this. Like, no, no, no. I said, just text me. <laughs> She's like, but you're right here. I'm going to forget and I'll get you something you don't want. Just just text me. <laughs> just text me what you want. I, I just love the, the human real level. And the voice acting is just really great. I mean, even uh, Kaylee Cuoco as Harley Quinn is drawing from what we know of in the whole Mr. J, you know, guys and dolls thing a little bit, yeah. but also dipping into just the reality of somebody living in, a, <laughs> in the world. You know? Yeah. And she kind of dips into that Batman, the animated series accent for like the key words, like Mr. J and Puddin. And it, it becomes, yeah, part of her persona as opposed to the person Harley. Yeah. But uh, the whole voice cast is so well chosen and so great. Like you instantly recognize that it's the celebrity that it is when it is a celebrity, like a celebrity celebrity, like Wanda Sykes. Right. At the same time, you go like, wow, they're doing something so different. Like that's Wanda Sykes, but this is not any Wanda Sykes I'm familiar with. I really enjoy uh, Tony Hale as dr psycho oh um, man you know basically archibald slash forky <laughs> but who's saying things that sound like forky but it's really great uh it's tony hale's magnificent in this show it's such a natural evolution of tony hale <laughs> i just feel like this is if buster bluth grew up to have like telekinetic powers <laughs> I can see in people's brains, mom. <laughs> I'm a I got, monster. 
I got this at Arkham for being a good sniper. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. I mean, that's the other thing that it reminds me of, too. Not just because of Tony Hale, but the Arrested Development feeling of there are too many jokes going by that you're laughing at some and others you're missing but it's but it's i think it's at a lower level because there's also the the violence and the mm-hmm. crime aspect and the comic book action so it's it, it I, I i just love how it flips and flips and flips and it's but, layered it takes a minute and sometimes have, oh sorry go ahead no please go the last thing i want to say was just about Clayface, because I think I might be the world's number one Clayface fan for some reason. Because <laughs> I think Clayface is so interesting, and there's so many versions of Clayface, and I think that he's been done well, but it feels like the world hates Clayface, and I don't get it. He's not well, been in any movies. Um, it feels like there's very few iterations of Clayface that have been done well in the last 20 years. I think the last one that I can think of is The Batman. It was really great in that show. And this show, while not an interesting, dramatic Clayface, like does the exact opposite and makes Clayface like the punching bag on the surface level that Clayface has become in the world of DC. <laughs> it's just this. Uh, I don't know. The only thing that would make it better if it's an Ian McKellen voiced Clayface. He's like this thespian that's full of himself and also has to have a backstory for every character he plays. Yeah, I I really I I like how in general and in in Clayface too that they find the one joke about that character and then they just keep going but somehow deepen it. I'm just a regular postman, dad. <laughs> I see. She wants to challenge me. <laughs> Yes, the world sees him as just a postman. <laughs> that that also reminds me a lot of the way they did Bane and, other, oh, you know, where it's have, just... Have we not talked about Bane yet? Well, I don't think he was in the first episode, but... That's true, but I hate use, Bane and this, this show makes me love Bane. You use the Tom Hardy voice. Oh... <laughs> Why do I speak like this? I'm not sure. I ordered the chicken well in advance, and then you took the chicken from me. That was rude. <laughs> I just I'm going to blow up <laughs> Gotham Stadium. <laughs> the I'm going to blow up joke is just so stupid that I love it. It's like, that's what he decided to blow up Gotham Stadium. <laughs> It's like the same ambition as Harley Quinn, but with none of the intelligence of how to get there, which is I think why I love Bane in the world of the show. He's such a foil to Harley. It's like a muscle dude who accomplishes these really stupid schemes. And he just comes up with them for the stupidest, pettiest reasons. (laughs) I love it because he's at Trivia Night at the bar. They say Bane decided to blow up Gotham Stadium at Trivia Night. It just cuts away like Family Guy style to get Bane at a bar at Trivia Night, surrounded by normal people eating chicken wings, somehow with chicken wing sauce smeared all over his like stitched <laughs> mouth mask. And he misses a trivia question. The Dallas Cowboys. 
No, it's no, the Steelers. I'm, I'm gonna blow up Gotham Stadium. <laughs> like it's like <laughs> not even like shouting it, just like I'm gonna blow it up. Uh, Mazel Tov. It's my other favorite Bainism. Just the Tom Hardy. <laughs> Mazel Tov. I'm gonna blow up this bomb. It's fine. <laughs> Oh, okay, just, we got the bane out of our system. I know. That's, <laughs> I'm just really excited about seeing other villains who are created for this show, you know, in this new light where it's, you know, they have to deal with everyday stuff. Like the Joker having to deal with contractors and getting permits for trap doors for his lair. You know, like people... These villains having to deal with where the real world is starting to eke in and challenge them, but also letting them be ridiculous and silly like they're meant to be. And catty and petty. Yeah. And that that is the Venture Brothers world for me in a nutshell. It's like, got to pause this fight. Got to talk to my contractor. What's up? <laughs> We're going to have to do this a different time. Yeah. <laughs> Likely excuse, Joker. <sighs> Chris, did you have a favorite thing? I think my favorite thing is the, the first time I laughed out loud. And it's just a dumb joke. And, and that's why I like it so much, because they're not afraid to do the obvious dumb joke. But the one that's so true to character and situation, um, Harley's in Arkham. She's been in there for about, I guess, nine months at this point. Um, I, we, I, we'd have to ask Calendar Man um, <laughs> just how long it had been. But she's in there and she's talking to the Riddler and um, he's he does this like... Dumb riddle. He's like, you sound like a broken record. He's not coming for you. Talking about the Joker. Like, she's been stuck in there. The Joker said he would come for her. It's been nine months. He says, he's not coming for you. And she says, well, that's just like one person's opinion. And like seven other villains turn around at a different table and just shout, he's not coming for you. <laughs> like, they're sick of hearing it. Like, they're, everyone's just tired of it. Everyone. Killer yeah. Croc, like, all these random people. Just like, he's not coming for you. And that just that just made me laugh really hard. Because, I one, I knew it was coming. And, two, it's just ridiculous to see. And, three, it's just so real. How about you? Uh, I've already recited many of my favorite lines and moments from this episode. Um, but one that I really like is just prior to a moment we talked about previously, um, Poison Ivy's making Harley Quinn talk to a picture of herself as Dr. Harleen Quinzel. And the picture starts talking back to her and Poison Ivy leans over and says, let me guess, you're talking to the picture. And the picture tells Harley, tell her to keep out of it, but we're making progress. And Harley leans over and says, Stay out of it. We're making progress. And it's just this perfect moment of communicating just how both 
grounded and real insane these characters are but also how insane these characters in this world is (laughs) (laughs) that's true just the fact that poison ivy's like let me guess the picture's talking to you right now yeah we're not going to take like five minutes for harley quinn to have a character like talk to themselves in a frame and no one else in the room is going to say anything right like it's grounded of course poison ivy's gonna lean and be like are you talking to the picture okay great just making sure making progress i'm happy i'm gonna i'm gonna walk away now (laughs) I'll do my own thing for a little while. Uh, I think that was the the trailer, the teaser clip that I saw on YouTube first when the show first premiered. Like, I have to watch this. <laughs> this show gets me. In a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. In a lot of ways. So if you haven't watched it, get your free trial. DC Universe. Get on. Binge some... Harley Quinn, it's it's worth checking out. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. Second thumbs up. Well, should we talk about homework time? Let's. Well, it's award season-ish again. So your homework is to go watch the Oscar-nominated animated shorts for the Academy Awards that will be announced on February 9th. The awards will, the winners will be announced (laughs) on February 9th. There you go. Yes, the winners. But watch all the ones, including not the winners. So the nominees? The nominees, yes. All the nominees. (laughs) Took a while, but we maybe uh, language homework, too. I I got there eventually. (laughs) As always, thank you to our engineer, Nigel Catino, and to Jacob Reed for our theme music. You can find us on the web on Twitter at WG Animated. Let us know what you thought about this episode. And you can find our show notes and links to all of our other episodes on writersgetanimated.podbeat.com. Leave us a review on iTunes if you enjoy what you hear. It helps people find us and just find some other episodes that you're interested in. But Chris, what's an iTunes? What was that? Was that a Harley Quinn? I don't know. That was just me. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Oh, right. There is no iTunes. There is no <laughs> iTunes. <laughs> Goodbye, iTunes. Good night, iTunes. <laughs> Good night, everybody.